On September the 15th, 1992, Superman Man of Steel issue number 17 hit the stands. In the book, as the main story ends, we're treated to one final page consisting of four vertical panels. In the first three of these four panels, we see a large gloved fist pounding away at a metal wall with a caption box that tells us that this is all happening somewhere else. The fourth panel shows us the other side of that metal wall. It's unmarred and unmarked, and we can hear a barely audible krang coming from behind it. But then the last bit we see on this page, there in the bottom right-hand corner of panel number four, is a caption box that contains three words. A warning that would herald the start of one of the single most important storylines in the history of Superman comics. Doomsday is coming. Hello and welcome to Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and yeah, unlike Just Another Fanboy, where you have no idea what you're in for each and every week, this is the podcast where I take one full season of episodes and focus on just one subject or storyline. In this case, of course, I'm talking about the death and return of Superman, a storyline which began 30 years ago this month in Superman Man of Steel number 18 and ran throughout all four of the ongoing Superman titles ending in September of 1993. During those 11 months, Superman would die battling a monster from the stars and would then be replaced by four new Supermen before finally returning to take up the mantle of Superman once again. And here's the thing, none of it would have happened were it not for a TV show that wouldn't even begin airing until the event was wrapping up. But first, before we get into all of that, here's how the first season of Just Another Fanboy Presents is going to work. Now, the death of Superman kicked off on Tuesday, October 13th, 1992. And so on Thursday, October 13th, 2022, 30 years later, you're going to get episode one of Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman. In episode number one, I'm going to be looking at the issue that started it all. Superman, Man of Steel, issue number 18, which was the only title in the Death of Superman event that was released that week in 1992. Each week that follows, I'm then going to look at the issues from the event that were released that week, 30 years previous. That's right, John Reed's Comics. I'm borrowing your concept. Anyway, what I'm saying here is that, in essence, episodes will land weekly every Thursday. Well, for the most part. See, while I was out there on Mike's Amazing World of Comics, researching the sales date of each of these issues, I discovered that there were weeks back there in 92-93 in which no issues from the event hit shelves, meaning that on those particular weeks, there's not going to be an episode of the podcast. In fact, with the exception of Legacy of Superman number one and Supergirl and Team Luther number one, not a single issue of the event was published in most of February and most of March in 1993. So yeah, I'll be taking those weeks off as well. And that, my friends, is how the show is going to work. And it all starts next week. But before we get there, 
I wanted to take some time here and talk about how the story came about in the first place. Now, I am going to try and be brief, but considering that I'm about to go all the way back to 1986 in order to provide you with just a bit of context, well, y'all might want to take the opportunity now to visit the restroom if you didn't do so before the episode started. In fact, here's a little Death of Superman music to P2. begin. In the wake of Crisis on Infinite Earths, DC brought in John Byrne to reboot Superman and give the character a fresh start. For many of us, this time is now referred to as the John Byrne era, and it began in July of 1986 with the first issue of a six-part bi-weekly miniseries written and drawn by Byrne called The Man of Steel. Once Man of Steel was completed, DC changed the title of the book that had been known as Superman since 1939 to The Adventures of Superman. This allowed them to add a new Superman book, which, of course, they just called Superman, and that started with a number one issue in October of 1986. This then gave DC, at the time, three different Superman titles, Action Comics, The Adventures of Superman, and Superman. Byrne would write and draw both Superman and action comics, while Marv Wolfman and Jerry Ordway would take over the adventures of Superman. Now, by this point, if you're asking yourself, what does any of this have to do with the subject at hand? Well, I think it's important to talk about the John Byrne era, because Byrne introduced a few new elements into the Superman mythos that you kind of need to know about before jumping in to the death of Superman. I mean... We all know the basics, right? Superman, as baby Kal-El, is sent to Earth in a rocket ship by his Kryptonian parents as his home planet, Krypton, blows up behind him. The rocket and Kal-El are found by Jonathan and Martha Kent from Smallville, Kansas, and the baby is raised as their own and given the name Clark Kent. As an adult, Clark lives in the big city of Metropolis, where he works as a reporter for the Daily Planet newspaper, alongside love interest Lois Lane. Clark, however, has a secret. He is also Superman, man of steel and champion of the oppressed. He's saving lives, he's taking down the bad guys, and he's just basically out there doing the right thing over and over again. After nearly 50 years of publication, however, Superman's backstory got to be a bit complicated, especially in the Silver Age, where, as I understand it, they were adding superpowers to Superman willy-nilly in order to tell the kinds of stories that they wanted to tell. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But then came Crisis on Infinite Earths, an attempt by DC to declutter the DC universe in order to make the books easier to jump into 
by new readers, which meant that Burn Superman was a back-to-basics type of approach that would simplify all of the craziness that had come before. For example, by the time the crisis began, there were a number of Kryptonians running around the DCU. The most famous of them, you know, besides Superman, was Supergirl. Well, Byrne went in and eliminated all that. Superman's reboot made him the only surviving Kryptonian left in existence, or the last son of Krypton, basically. And so, of course, Supergirl was no more. Byrne also wrote it that Clark's powers didn't fully manifest until he was an adult, thus chucking out the idea that Clark began his superhero adventures in Smallville as Superboy, which of course meant that Superboy was no more as well. Another big change that Byrne made was with Lex Luthor, who was no longer the mad scientist he was before the crisis, but instead was your basic evil, rich, capitalist white guy. In fact, this new Lex was modeled after Donald Trump, albeit a smarter, more successful Donald Trump, but still, the armor-wearing mad scientist guy was out and the corrupt businessman was in. And at one point during Burns' run, Luther actually began wearing a kryptonite ring to protect himself from Superman. Now, this is going to come into play later. Just, you know, put that in your back pocket for now. And so the last thing Byrne would change would be in Superman number 16 from December of 1987, where Byrne introduced a new Supergirl to this new DC post-crisis universe. But this Supergirl wasn't Superman's cousin. No, she was a shapeshifter from a pocket universe which then opened up Burns back to basic Superman to then quickly becoming just a bit more confusing. Anyway, Byrne left Superman in 1988, and by 1992, when the death of Superman began, sales on the Superman titles weren't really all that great. By this point, there were now four ongoing Superman titles after they had added Superman Man of Steel to the roster in May of 1991. The four titles were Action Comics, The Adventures of Superman, Superman, and Superman Man of Steel. Now, Mike Carlin was the editor over all of these Superman books, which made him the guy in charge of ensuring that everything tied together and made sense across all four of these titles. And the best way to do that was with what they began calling the Superman Summits. See, when John Byrne was on the books, he was basically the showrunner, which meant in essence, that he decided what was going to happen to the Man of Steel. Once he left, however, it was up to Mike Carlin to try and figure out the best way to ensure that four different creative teams were working with the same vision and toward the same goal. And so, starting in 1988, these creative teams would get together and map out what was going to happen in the Superman books for the following year. During these summits, it was apparently a running joke that if they ever got stuck on a story point, one of the members of the creative teams, uh, Jerry Ordway, would suggest the idea that they just kill Superman. Everyone would laugh, you know, oh, that Jerry Ordway and his silly ideas. And then the suggestion would be summarily ignored. Coming out of these yearly summits, however, was a major storyline which would culminate with Lois and Clark getting married in The Adventures of Superman number 500, in April of 1993. See, after Byrne left, the creative teams began injecting a bit more romance into Superman's life, which meant 
bringing Clark Kent and Lois Lane closer together. In fact, Clark proposed to Lois in issue number 50 of Superman back in October of 1990, and wouldn't you know it, she said yes. Yet, despite the budding romance, despite Lois and Clark becoming closer, and despite the accepted proposal of marriage, Clark had yet to reveal to Lois his biggest secret, that he was Superman. In fact, it wouldn't be until January of 1991 in Action Comic 662 before Clark would finally reveal his secret identity to Lois. Now all that was left was to plan for the wedding, which actually wouldn't happen for another five years in a comic titled Superman The Wedding Album that hit shelves on October 9th, 1996. But wait, didn't you say earlier that the plan had been to marry them in Adventures of Superman number 500 in April of 1993? Why, yes, Stephen, I did say that. All right, then, so what happened? Why the delay? And what in the freaking heck does any of this have to do with the death of Superman? You know what, Stephen? I'm glad you asked. Turns out, during one of their Superman summits, I believe it was 1991, their plans for Superman stretching off into 1993 would come crashing down around Team Superman due to the hit ABC television show, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which hadn't even begun airing at this point. See, the plan for Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, was to have the couple get married eventually as part of the storyline of the show. And despite the fact that the show wasn't set in the same universe as the comics, the folks over at Warner Brothers, which is the giant entertainment conglomerate that owned both DC Comics and ABC, well, they demanded, at the time anyway, a sense of continuity across all of their properties. And frankly, even though the show was still in development, it was forecast to be a bigger moneymaker than the comics. And thus the show, as far as the fat cats over at Warner Bros. were concerned, was the more important property. Which meant what, exactly? Well, it meant that Lois and Clark were not allowed to get married in the comics until they got married on the show. Which, again, wouldn't even begin airing until September of 1993. So now, this major storyline that Team Superman had mapped out for the next... I don't know, almost two years, had to be scrapped. And they were left scrambling to decide what to replace it with. That's when, as if on cue, Jerry Ordway joked once again that they just kill off Superman already. This time, however, the laughter didn't end with the others ignoring the suggestion. No, this time, Team Superman just kind of figured, well, if we can't marry him, let's kill him. And so they began to plan. What Team Superman had realized by this point was that the world had begun to take Superman for granted. I mean, here was this godlike being who always seemed to be where he was needed, and the thought was that folks had gotten to the point where they just assumed that Superman would always be there to save them. This then led to the inevitable question, what if Superman wasn't there when the world needed him? And that, folks, is how it all started. Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> and yet, I'm not quite done. Before I leave you, there are a few more items that I think y'all need to know about before you jump into the death of Superman, especially if you've never read it before. First off, 
This event began nearly a year into what folks now refer to as the Triangle Era. All right, Stephen, what's the Triangle Era? Well, if you look at the covers of each of these issues that make up the death of Superman, you'll notice that each one has a triangle on it. And inside that triangle is a number. The numbers within the triangles represent the order in which each issue across all four titles should be read. And they started with Superman number 51 from November of 1991. Next up, you know how I mentioned that John Byrne had brought Supergirl back into the DCU, but that she wasn't a Kryptonian, but was instead a shape-shifting protoplasmic matrix taking the form of a woman? Just, you know, keep that in mind when you read through this event. That way, certain things won't surprise you. Plus, I also mentioned a kryptonite ring that Lex Luthor had begun to wear to protect himself from Superman. Well, he got cancer from prolonged exposure to the radiation that emanated from the kryptonite, and he died. Except that he didn't really die. (laughs) Not at all. Because you know what? This is comics. And Lex Luthor, being Lex Luthor, before he could die, he had his brain transplanted into a cloned body of himself. A younger body with long, flowing red hair. And as far as the world of the DCU was concerned, Lex Luthor had died. And this new athletic ginger warrior was Lex Luthor II, Luthor's long-lost son who had grown up in Australia. But of course, you and I, as the readers, we know it's really Lex Luthor, and he's just tricking everybody, because that's just how evil he is. And, uh, (laughs) oh yeah, Luthor and Supergirl... They are lovers in the nighttime. I should probably mention that. So that doesn't surprise you either when you come across that in the storyline. Anyway, I think that about gets us where we all need to be. So make sure you join me back here next week for episode number one, in which I'm going to talk about the book that started the event, Superman, Man of Steel, number 18. If you have anything you want to say about this episode or the event in general, You can email me at justanotherfanboy at gmail.com, or you can text me or even call and leave a voicemail by dialing 785-318-6673 on your touchtone or rotary phone. Or you can join us over at the forums at forum.justanotherfanboy.com. Don't worry about writing any of that down. It's all in the show notes. And so, yeah, that's it, folks. See you next week. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.